I want to welcome you to the Modern Mysticism panel discussion this evening. Uh, I want to add one quick announcement. You'll notice there's an email sign-up sheet, and for those that hadn't signed up, what it is, we'd like you to sign up. How many remember a man by the name of uh, Pastor Dr. Herbert Douglas? Herbert Douglas passed away a year ago in December. He was, in a sense, our mentor, along with Elder Rick Howard, who passed away uh, this past November. We lost two of our giants. So he had an email system set up called Red Alert. And Red Alert system was to keep us as a church informed about cutting-edge material about issues that were popping up that were facing us as we moved towards the close probation. So as, as Herbert Douglas passed away, we decided to go ahead and pick that up, uh, the Red Alert system. So what you have is you have an opportunity to sign up uh, for the Red Alert system, and it comes out to my home. My wife and I run it out in Ukiah, California. It will not be abused. It will not be passed on to anybody else, and it will be uh, systematically brought out about once a month, okay? So be informed what's happening. As an example, uh, I don't have it uh, with me on the screen, but you may want to make a physical note of this in your iPads, iPhones, or pen and pencil. Those that have friends, or if you're traveling to the Washington, D.C. area on July 15 and 16, make a note of that, please. July 15 and 16, we're bringing in uh, a team of individuals to speak on the areas of righteousness by faith. Igor, you know about this, of course. Igor Patansky, retired pastor here from Ohio. Uh, but we're bringing in Elder Dennis Preby from, how many know who Dennis Preby is? Amazing Facts Revivalist is coming in, along with Elder Larry Kirkpatrick from Upper Columbia Conference. And also we're having Lincoln Steed. How many know who Lincoln Steed is? Lincoln Steed is going to speak on religious liberty and regarding the Sabbath sanctification. And we'll have a whole uh, evening on Friday, July 15, and throughout the day on July 16 at the Burnt Mills Church, 10 minutes north of the General Conference headquarters. So it's the Burnt Mills Church in Maryland, 10 minutes north of the General Conference headquarters. That's a red alert we just gave you, okay? A little bit of a preview. Now, we had a prayer outside, uh, Elder uh, Sorky uh, let out. But we'd like to have another prayer before we start with you and we'll explain what we're going to do regarding the symposium. Uh, Pastor Vaughn, would you go ahead and have a prayer for us as we start here? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. And Lord, we know that even though there are those that stray from your truth, that you still love them too. And Lord, help us as we talk here tonight to show your love. Help us to be able to express ourselves in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. May all that is said and done here tonight be according to your will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get formally started with the panel, I'd like you each to just identify yourself and uh, what you do at present. You can do that uh, from this end on down. Ingo Sorky, I teach... Uh... Bible at Southwestern Adventist University, and I run a church plan outside of Cleburne, Texas. I am Victor Vaughn. I am a pastor here in Michigan, and I pastor three churches, the uh, Lapeer, Lake Orion, and Otter Lake churches. I'm Jerry Wagoner. My wife and I are from Piqua, Ohio. I own a commercial industrial roofing company there in Ohio. And we also have a counseling ministry that we operate out of our home for the last uh, 12 years. And I'm also the co-founder, I guess, of a website called Fulcrum 7. 
My name is Eric Wilson, and in 2008, my wife and I were called to, to serve the Lord. We run a ministry called Isaiah Ministries, and we also help with a, a small Seventh-day Adventist church in Northwest Virginia. My name is Carl Satalbasides. I've been pastoring here in Michigan for many years, and I've been teaching at Wachita Hills College for the last five years, and I'm kind of in transition now, waiting to see what the Lord is going to indicate is the next step. Diamond Garcia with the Hawaii Conference on the Leeward District of Oahu and evangelism there uh, in full time. So, yeah. My name is Jonathan Zirkel. Um, I do a number of different things. I'm an attorney, but uh, I was a former director of Advent Hope, which is a, a ministry of the University Church in Loma Linda. And uh, right now, I'm working on starting a radio station in the Loma Linda area that'll be Adventist. Thank you so much. So, this is the Modern Mysticism panel discussion. We want to welcome you formally. What we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and ask some questions of our panel. And uh, we ask the gentlemen would keep their questions brief, of course. Uh, we've got a bit of time to work with. And uh, basically, if you could kind of, if you could do a hand thing or Pick up the mic, I'll kind of know what's going on, which direction we need to kind of direct the flow towards mm -hmm. as individuals. We'd like to start off with a question. Let's see here. I got a question. Okay. Some people have referred to our prophet Ellen White as a mystic. How accurate do you think this description is? What's the difference between a mystic and a prophet? So it's really important for us to know the difference between a mystic and a prophet. Um, a mystic, basically anybody can be a mystic. If you spend enough time doing spiritual disciplines, contemplative prayer, these different practices, and if you have a little trouble, it's even permissible to use drugs to help you, um, you can become a mystic. And mystics often have contact with spirits. It's very, very different than a prophet. A prophet is someone that's chosen by God, and, you know, if you look at the history of the world, prophets are relatively rare. God does have to pick the prophet. You don't get to pick that you want to be a prophet. And then you have to pass the test of a prophet. And that's something that the mystics don't do. Here's a... Here's a okay, you guys can piggyback on if you feel like any time. Uh, what's the difference between biblical meditation and Eastern meditation? Anybody can answer this? What's the difference? Go ahead, Eagle. I remember I was working on my green belt in judo in Germany before I became Adventist, and even then, it was always odd when we had to kneel before the master. There was a minute of silence. He said, Ray, and we bowed down. And I always thought, what am I supposed to think during that minute? Uh, I think the difference is quite clear. The object and subject of meditation is different between the two. Eastern meditation, you empty yourself, um, you ponder nothing or, or repeat a word. In biblical meditation, the object of meditation is scripture, and the subject of meditation is Jesus Christ. Is our ages page 83? It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in the contemplation of the life of Christ. So my thoughts are 
directly upon Scripture and Jesus. Just a couple verses that come to my mind. Uh, Psalms 1 directly says that the man who walks in the counsel of the Lord and not in other counsel, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. So you're pondering scripture, not self or the universe or nothingness. And, and you probably know Philippians 4 verse 8, meditate, think upon specifically these things that Paul lists, that would definitely not be the case in Eastern meditation. Yes, absolutely. At any time you feel like it. I had 25 years um, in these Eastern mystical arts, and when I first began, I can remember that same question going through my mind. What am I supposed to do when they tell you to empty your mind? How, how do you empty your mind? Um, they have different practices that they use, whether it be a, a, a mantra saying a word over and over again, or whether it be a thought pattern or concentrating on your breath. But the goal is, is to get rid of consciousness of yourself. Erase the voices that you hear that they say is chattering. And when you do that, that's why they call it silence, is because self is taken out of the driver's seat. If there's no one in the driver's seat, something's going to take the seat. And that's exactly what Satan wants. So the emptying of the mind is not really emptying it. It's just you getting in the back seat and letting another take the wheel. Where do people who have been promoting this subtle deception go to be taught about spiritual formation and emergent church theology? Where do they go to get taught? The people that are teaching us and others. Um, <clears throat> well, how many of you were here for my presentations on Tuesday? Okay. Yeah, um, I talked about how we see the aspects of, the, of this movement in our church. And I talked about primarily one group called the One Project. Um, and I talked about how four of the five founders of it received their doctorate degrees from George Fox University which is involved in pantheism and panentheism and is a huge promoter of this emerging church theology. So that's one place where, as far as people in our church go to, also there's places like Claremont School of Theology in California, elsewhere. There's various places around North America and around the world that um, have programs in the emerging church uh, philosophy and theology. And also, um, all you have to do is go on the web go to YouTube, go to some of these sites like that, and you can watch all kinds of videos that will teach you about the emergent church, that will teach you what it is, um, how to, how to, where to go to be a part of it. Uh, it's, it's very prevalent out there today on the web or just about anywhere you want to go, um, both inside Adventism and outside Adventism. It's, it's there. You just have to look for it. And, and one other place, if you're not, you know, that's more like the, the academic degree, but the other thing you got to watch out for is they'll take you to places where they do these prayer retreats and things. So like it may be an Ignatian retreat or something similar to that where they teach you first how to do the process, the meditative, contemplative prayer process, but then they may teach you how to be a spiritual director. That's another big thing. Because a lot of this contemplative prayer, you have a spiritual director, someone to lead you through this thing. And so they go to these retreats, so you got to watch out for some of those. And we're not immune. I mean, 
there's a place in Washington, D.C. called the Chilean Institute. Some of our people have gone there, major figures, actually. Uh, there's a place probably near Andrews University, I think it's called Stillwater, fairly close to it, as an example. Okay. Right. Question. Is it fair to say that the emerging church mindset deconstructs our present truth message? If so, in what ways? Carl? I basically dealt with this in the entire two presentations that I did yesterday and today, and yes, that is an extremely fair statement. When we talk about emergent practices, spiritual practices, or worship practices, these are not just... Um, these are not just cosmetic things that are added to spirituality or to worship, but they actually uh, transform, that's not a good word, they, they, they deconstruct, I think that was the word in the question, that was a very good word, they actually deconstruct the pillars of Adventism. They deconstruct our concepts of God, they deconstruct our concepts of humanity, they deconstruct our concepts of the world, and those are the basic building blocks for all um, spirituality and for worship. So we're not just dealing with a cosmetic change here. We're dealing with something that's extremely fundamental when we decide to incorporate these practices. Along that note, um, many of us in here have got children that have, have attended either public colleges, public high schools. Myself, my son has been in public school for the last you know, three years, and I've noticed in the last 12 months He's 17 now, that he's coming home and his view of the world is, is the devil is seeking to alter the way that he views the world as though God can be separated from things that are happening in the world. And my wife and I began to, to ask him questions and what was happening was is that through the school books, not that anybody was specifically at his class trying to do this, but through the school books, they're changing the minds of our young people. Uh, one comment. There's a quote here from Ellen White, um, Acts of the Apostles, page 474, paragraph 1. She says, The warnings of the Word of God regarding the perils surrounding the Christian church belong to us today. As in the days of the apostles, men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the Scriptures, so today by the pleasing sentiments of higher criticism, evolution, spiritualism, theosophy, and pantheism, the enemy of righteousness is seeking to lead souls into forbidden paths. What she described right there is the emerging church. Where do you see the emergent church philosophy surfacing within the Seventh-day Adventist church? Victor? It doesn't take much to search around and, and see once you know what the emergent theology is. It doesn't take a whole lot to look around and see where it is both inside Adventism and outside. Um, probably the most uh, concentrated location that you will find emergent theology is in uh, the organization called the One Project. Um, basically, it's, it's an ecumenical movement within Adventism. Um, the, the emerging church seeks to bring uh, religions together. Uh, it is a, a tolerance of your religion. In other words, your religion is just as good as mine. Um, if you go to our schools, you will find it. 
If you go to our churches, you will find it. If you go to our, uh, a lot of the, um, the leadership uh, all the way up uh, in the church, you will find it. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are good people at all levels in our church. And they are fighting to make sure that this, this does not pervade the church any more than it already has. But it's an uphill battle because the devil is, is striving to destroy God's church. He wants to, to sit on God's throne. And God's people, we're told, are, are the pillars of his temple. And we're also told in God's word that, uh, that he wants to, to put himself in that throne <clears throat> to be uh, worshipped by God's people. And through this deception of the emerging church, uh, when, whether it's in our schools, the churches, the leadership, wherever you find it, it's an attempt by the devil to put himself on God's throne, to get God's people to worship him instead of worshiping the creator. Um, so the, the thing that you should do is educate yourself as to what the emerging church consists of. And, and that may take a little bit of work because the emerging church morphs and changes as things go on. But if you, if you can just educate yourself as to what the principles of the emerging church are, and first and foremost, pray, read your Bible, because if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be deceived by these things. So read your Bible, pray, ask the Lord to reveal truth for you, ask Him to shelter you from things that are not the truth, and God will reveal to you, through His Holy Spirit, He will reveal to you where these things are found in our church, and you will be able to identify them and stay away from them, and not only that, you'll be able to warn others of them as well. Thank you, Victor. Ingo, then Diamond. I have people from who are in this emerging movement tell me, you're, you're just making this up, there's no threat. Let me give you three very quick examples. I went to Germany to an Adventist academy. The principal is head of the ecumenical movement in southern Germany. Um, recently, an entity of the Adventist church came to our religion department and they said they did a market analysis of what a successful pastor looks like. They came up with seven points and said, we need to teach towards those seven points. I raised my hand and said, has the Bible and the spirit of prophecy been considered in defining successful pastor? The answer was no, but we will add quotes later on. And then, um, since I'm a pastor too, I'll be honest, in my conference, there, there's a push that every church engages in a uh, focused leader training. And that comes from non-Adventist materials where church members go on a retreat and confess their darkest secrets to one another. Um, no spirit of prophecy, no great controversy framework whatsoever. And, and that's happening right now question was asked, <clears throat> where do you see this movement surfacing in Adventism? Yep. You know, in, um, in Israel, Israel was still God's people all the way up until the ending of the prophecy in Daniel 9, right? In 34 AD, the ending of the 70-week prophecy, Israel was still God's people. Throughout history, there were Babylonians in Israel, there were heresy in Israel, but Israel was still God's people. Yes, there are certain teachings like this that have come into our church, but this is still God's church. Amen? And you know, that text in Revelation 12, verse 17, which says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, 
that text identifies the Seventh-day Adventist church. The dragon, which is Satan, is enraged. He's wroth with this church. So we should anticipate these things in our church. But just like in Israel, God has always had people who were close to him and close to his prophets that went through. And we ought to be close to God and close to his prophets through, through their writings. And we will go through. Amen? One last, and I'm going to add something here, Victor, when you're done real quick. Okay. Um, one of the, one of the, just a, a short example like Ingo gave a second ago. Um, I spoke with some leadership, not here, but uh, somewhere else, and we were talking about this, and, and uh, they were saying, as, as Ingo said, oh, you know, you're wrong, this is not the way things are, and uh, I said, well, show me from Scripture where these people are right and I am wrong. They said, we're not going to even go there. That was the answer. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a departure from Scripture. Um, my friends, the Word of God is the standard. If you do not know the Word of God, you won't be able to identify the emerging church when it's staring you in the face. So know the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal His truth to you. Okay. Uh, the question again was, where do you see it? Okay. We mentioned what? One project. Now, we did not cover one aspect in our symposium, I don't believe. And how many have ever heard of the Leadership Institute? All right. Book called Tremble. Also, there's a book we're giving out at our table out in the exhibit tent called Modern Mysticism. How many got a copy of Modern Mysticism? Okay, the rest of you need to go out the exhibit tent tomorrow, Sabbath, pick up a copy. I also want to promote a book. We're not making money off of this. Uh, Tremble by Dave Fila. That gets into it very clearly. And it's a training program in Southeastern California Conference in that area at uh, Pine Springs Ranch. They're training pastors to go on a journey. You can imagine where that goes. Uh, also, anybody ever heard of I Follow over here at the table? Diamond? Okay. I'm going to briefly talk about briefly I Follow. What is that? What is going on there? I mentioned it in my, in my presentations. I believe it was in part one. I mentioned it uh, Tuesday morning. The I Follow program is a, is a series of Bible study guides that, that are used to train both laity and clergy. What's the source? Um, there are resources in there um, from Brian McLaren, which was one of the leaders of, the, of this movement here in North America, and also Leonard Sweet, uh, Henry Nowen, uh, Richard Foster. Who put it out? The NAD. It's the Center for Creative Ministry. There you go. Yes, the, um, we had a leader from Center for Creative Ministry um, come to another conference and was presenting this I Follow program to us. Um, I asked him, I said, sir, there are, there are some things in here that are um, written by mystical authors and uh, promoters of the emergent church, spiritual formation. And I said, uh, there was an article in the review that came out that said that these things were not good. Why are we promoting something that our flagship paper has spoken against? Um, his, his reply to me was, sir, there is a, a group of people of which you appear to be one that does not want a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, that gives you the mentality that is out there. Folks, we need to pray for the people that are involved in this. They are deceived. Uh, they need prayer worse than you and I do. Because if, if the Holy Spirit does not reach them, they will be lost. 
And we need to pray like we've never prayed before for these people. I don't think we've asked this question. I don't have my pen, so I'm going to have to go by memory. All right? Okay. Did we ask, why do you think that many Adventists today are drifting into this movement? And is this problem a symptom of a deeper problem? If so, what is that problem? Again, what do you think that, why do you think that many Adventists today are drifting into this movement? Is this problem a symptom of a deeper problem? If so, what is the problem? Eric? I'm going to try to answer this in a simple way. The scripture tells us that in the last days, men will have a form of God-likeness, but not the power thereof. John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and the first thing he said to Jesus was what? We know you're from God because we see what you're doing. You're casting out demons, you're healing the sick, you're setting the captives free, you're forgiving sins, you're making the lame to walk. The entire Gospels, if you go through, that was the Gospels. He came to set the captives free. And Nicodemus said, we've got doctrine. We've got the words in our head, but we don't see the power and the presence of God. If we don't have faith, in God's Word, we will not see what Ellen White and most importantly Scripture promised to God's people. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, these signs will follow those that believe. What the emerging church and spiritual formation are offering to people is spiritual power. They're offering them spiritual experiences and miracles that are not wrought by the Spirit of God. They are wrought by demons. So when people are hungering for this, when our young people are hungering for miracles and power, it's because they don't see it here where they should see it. It has to be based on the Word of God and by faith alone. Uh, John? So when I say this, I, I always have to say that this is something I struggle with too. But I think that the Adventist church is being swept away by the cares of this world. And I don't think we're spending enough time in the Word. And I don't think we're spending enough time um, advancing the kingdom. If you go out and do evangelism, and I swear evangelism, I say to people, is a contact sport. It's, it's more important the time you spend with someone talking to them face-to-face -face and studying the Bible with them. It will sharpen your knowledge of the Bible incredibly, and you will have a reliance upon the Lord. And that will be the real thing. And you can become heavily grounded, but if you're more worried about your television show, your money, and, and I'm not saying that a rich person is the only people that get swept away from the cares of this world. Everybody is inundated with the cares of this world. And just, I think we need to spend more time getting back to the Word and reaching out. Jerry? There are several reasons, I believe, that people get swept up into this. One of them can be boredom, just, just plain old boredom. But at its heart, I believe the real problem is a question of identity. 
Adventists are slowly losing their identity. And I believe the reason for that is to the degree that we adopt the principles of the world or the world's worldview, to that degree we are vulnerable to this kind of stuff. We want something. We're looking for something meaningful, something lasting. And if we're not finding that, like the brethren have said already in the Word of God and in our, our special prayer life on our own knees, then we want a short circuit process for that. We want something quick. We want a sugar high. And people turn to this because it promises something. Unfortunately, that is the basic principle of the occult. Let me explain what I mean. The occult, in the occult, you give part of your life over to these powers in order to get something, in order to gain power. Dangerous road to go down. So I believe the fundamental problem is a question of identity. We need to know who we are and where we're going. Carl? We seem to be enamored also, like with the evangelicals. And we don't really sometimes seem to value or to know that which we have. Like the biblical pillars, the sanctuary, the Sabbath, the non-immortality of the soul, the perpetuity of the law, the three angels' messages. It's like we haven't really seen the value of them. We spend all this time trying to prove that they exist and, then that, and that they're uh, legitimate, but then we never see the depth of them, the beauty of them, the value of them as we seek to apply them to some of these issues. And we're looking around at all these other guys and all their other work, all their work sometimes are being promoted by our teachers uh, at our institutions. And so it's kind of like we're, we're blinded to the beauty and the power of what we have. I'll say one thing. <clears throat> Can you repeat that question again? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, yes. Personal relationship with Christ. You know, I know lots of Seventh-day Adventists, lay people, elders, teachers, uh, pastors, professors, who, who know a bunch of doctrine, which is really important. They know all about the prophecies, and they, and they know the Greek and Hebrew about everything but yet they lack to have personal time with Christ daily. And let me tell you, that will cause a fall. If, if, if you know all the things, which the Pharisees, and, and they knew it all. They knew all the prophecies about the Messiah, but yet when he came, they knew him not. Why? Because they were not beholding him. If you know Christ, you will know Christ. And when the fake Christ comes, like some people say, let's just lift up Christ, if you really know who Christ is, you will know that's not Christ. So spending time daily in God's Word, you know, uh, like, like Paul says, by beholding, you become changed. So. Thank you. This question follows, and nicely follows what Diamond just said. Shouldn't our SDA pastors preach less doctrine, more Jesus, as advocated by the One Project preachers? Carl? I just want to make you aware of the fact that Jesus is a doctrine. When you talk about Jesus, you're talking about a human nature, you're talking about a divine nature, and how all those things go together. It's simply impossible to talk about Jesus without assuming any kind of doctrinal system. The question also assumes that there's a dichotomy between Jesus and doctrines, which is absolutely impossible. There can never be a dichotomy between Jesus and doctrines. I think uh, Diamond really hit it on the head um, as an explanation, I think, for why the question is being asked, and, and Eric as well, there's so little power in the church. Um, 
And I, I know myself, sure, I love to spend time in the theoretical aspects of all of this stuff. But if we don't really bear our souls with God, if we're not confessing our sins, if we're not beholding him, then it appears that whatever we're preaching is just a, a dry set of propositions at that point that lacks the power. But we can never divorce the two. It's not possible. Uh, as a pastor, um, I, I very strongly believe that the Jesus Christ that we preach um, includes all of his teachings, but his doctrine is simply teaching. And Jesus told his disciples to go and to teach all nations the things that he had taught them. And if we don't, uh, and if you come at 9.30 tomorrow morning, you'll hear a little bit more about this uh, when I give my presentation. But if, if we aren't preaching Jesus and all of the teachings of Jesus from his word, then we aren't preaching Jesus. Eric? From personal experience, my wife and I were divorced for five years. And my wife held on to one promise in here. And she told God, she said, don't let this be for nothing. And the Lord told her, what I've joined together, let no man put asunder, not even a judge. She held on to that word and believed that word. Jesus said, my word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is verity. When we hear God's word, the Spirit of the Lord through Ellen White said, we are to hear Christ speaking to us individually. That promise is yours. If you will take hold of any promise in God's word, by faith in Christ Jesus and appropriate it as your own, he will answer. Period. That's why we don't see the power of God is because we do not believe. Diamond, I would actually correct something at you. We had a discussion about this, I think, the last 24 hours. We were looking for a particular YouTube tape. We were talking about this. and One individual with a particular group that's out there promoting this stuff had pointed to a prophecy chart, and he made a comment. Can you kind of describe that to us about the uh, importance of teaching and doctrine in that case and what the attitude was? Well, one of the uh, speakers, which we mentioned earlier uh, of the one project, was doing a, um, a sermon or sermonette. It was like 20 minutes, I believe it was. Um, I think it was at Newbold College. I'm not for certain on that, but it was that speaker, and he held a... Well, he had on the screen our, our traditional um, prophecy chart, you know, by, um, by William Miller, about the 1843, 2520, all that stuff on there. Um, and he basically mocked it and said, oh, you know, he, he, that's basically what happened. He mocked the chart. Um, I'm not for certain exactly what he said, but from when I watched it um, a few, about two and a half years ago, I realized that, you know, he, he's mocking our roots. He's mocking the start of the Advent movement. This movement has not begun on accident. You know, this is God's remnant church. God began this movement. And, and it's nothing to mock. If you mock the start of this church, you're mocking the inspiration of God. So, yeah. Okay. What can we do if the school we send our children to is promoting emerging church philosophy? 
Uh, I've had a little first-hand experience with this. Um, first of all, let me say that I don't believe that there is a, a school of higher learning that we have that does not have this present somehow. Um, one of the things that I have done uh, personally is I've contacted the professors. I have asked them point blank, why are you using Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline? Um, why are we using all of these other books? And, and if you, again, if you come tomorrow morning, you're going you're gonna to see, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but contact these people. Talk with them about this. Some of them are just simply going along with the flow. Some of them are, are deeply ingrained in this. They know what they're doing. Um, some of them are, are just simply, they're deceived. They believe it's good, and they haven't really been shown that it's bad. So contact them. Talk with them. You know, the, the one project and the emerging church is very big on dialogue. They want to dialogue. They want to talk. Sit down and talk with these people. Show them from the Word of God where this is going to lead down a wrong road. Show them that this is something that is, is uh, coming directly from ancient mysticism. It comes directly from those, those ancient uh, religions, um, those Eastern religions. Uh, tell them, hey, read this book. Send them a book. Uh, I remember I sent the president of one of our, our um, institutions uh, the book uh, by Rick Howard, The Omega Rebellion. Um, he read it. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, he went to a, um, uh, a meeting that was held in the city where this uh, institution is located, and Brian McLaren was speaking there. He was invited to come and just uh, to say a little bit there. And uh, Brian McLaren got up and spoke, and he got up and, and refuted just about everything Brian McLaren said. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if he really uh, grasped the, the import of all of this, but at least he read the book. Um, and uh, he used some of the things that, that he had read to refute some of the things that he had heard just a, a few weeks later. Thank so you. contact these people, talk with them, pray with them. I'm going to ask this question before you. What can we do if the school we send our children to, talk about our children here, what to do with that situation? Go ahead, Ingo. Yeah, I want to highlight what you just said with one line that I see at every airport. If you see something, say something. We, we've been silent too long. Uh, we make politeness and being a loving Christian sometimes an excuse for not dealing with grievous error. We, we have to get out of the pew and visit with these people and talk. Okay, they have example. Sorry about the volume. Uh, there's a magazine called Mindfulness, and I was looking in there, the U.S. congressman, and they're, they're teaching this in elementary schools of so contemplative at, at a level. What do you do if they're doing it with your little kids? I mean, come on, let's get real. Jonathan first. Oh. <clears throat> If you have kids, you've got to take full responsibility for raising them. And I think the time has passed when you could safely send your kid out to school anywhere, anywhere, and just assume that they're going to be uh, trained properly. And you know, there came a time when Ellen White, when she dealt with this crisis with Kellogg, where she said, you know what, 
don't send your kids to Battle Creek. And so I think that you have to do what it takes to raise your kids. If that means homeschooling them because that's the only option that's safe, then I think the time may have come where that's the thing you can do. And you can't shirk your responsibilities. You had those children. Now you've got to raise them properly. And if you have your children well raised, then you can send them out into the world and they'll, they'll do well. Um, so that's kind of a hard statement, but we, we need to pay attention. Thank you. Victor. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Um, as parents, it is our responsibility to make sure our children are educated, not only just in, in the three R's, but they need to be educated about what God's Word says. They need to be educated uh, about what the Bible teaches about the deceptions the devil is going to bring so that they can be prepared to meet these things just as you are. I mean, we talked about uh, educating ourselves. We need to educate our children as well. The experience that I told you, uh, the reason I did that is because my child was going to that institution. So uh, make sure that your children know. Make sure that they know as much as you know. Uh, kids may not be able to grasp everything if they're smaller, but you can, you can give them simple principles that they can see and they can understand. And as they grow, you tell them more and more and more until they have the, the understanding that they need to be able to refute uh, the, the deceptions that the devil is trying to perpetrate on them. Thank you. Um, I'm going to do this kind of a two-parter. I'm going to do with... Oh, go ahead, let's do this. What are some practical ways... We can reach those who have been attracted to this movement. Jerry Wagner. There are a number of different things we can do. It often varies with the individual. What are, what are they struggling with? What will reach them the most? I'll tell you what I like to do, and I'll give you an illustration. Nancy and I were in Connecticut um, some years ago holding some meetings. After the seminar, a young millennial girl who was helping out with song service who was also struggling with some of these things, fell in line beside me as I was walking back to the cafeteria for the uh, evening meal. One thing we can do is ask questions of people. And we have to ask them in the right way, in a disarming way, but ask them nonetheless. Here's what happened. As we were walking down the sidewalk, she said, um, I've been dating this guy. Okay, she wanted to tell me that. So I said, all right. I didn't have a lot of time, so I, I went straight to what I believed was the heart of the question. I said, is he a believer? Um, no. Okay. And again, I didn't have much time. I wanted to get straight to the heart of the issue, but do it in a kind way. So I said, can I say something to you? Sure. I said, does he believe that the earth was created in six literal days? And she paused, and I knew the answer was probably no. And she said, no, but I'm working on him. I said, don't marry him. Boom. She said, what? I said, don't marry him. He doesn't have convictions about how he came into existence. That means that he won't have convictions about morality and God's claim upon his life in the moral area. And I don't want to hear from you in five years. You call me crying your eyes out, saying my husband's out at the bar with the guys and they picked up some girls. Don't marry him is my advice. And I said it as kind as I could. 
she started crying. A month later, she decided I was right. Another instance I had was a young person was talking to me about some of these things they were struggling with, and they had gotten caught up in this emergent movement, these, these false ideas floating around, and so ask them questions. They can, they can go something like, has your life turned out the way you hoped it would? Just a simple disarming question can go under the radar and touch the heart of these young people. Why? Because they're struggling. Many of them are hurting inside. And they need someone to pause and care for them. And questions can, I believe, help us do that and also stimulate thinking on their part. Get them thinking. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you need this? What are your favorite verses of the Bible? And if they don't have any, all of a sudden they're confronted with a big lack in their life. So ask these questions, ask them in a non-threatening way, and sometimes that can help them. Jonathan. I'd like to say something about this. You know, um, I was the director of Advent Hope in Loma Linda, which is a ministry on the Loma Linda University campus. And its target audience is 18 to 35-year-olds. We have a room that seats 350, and probably once a month, we're, we're overflowing. Uh, and what do we do? How do we attract? We're, we're, we're hitting our target audience, too. If you look to see who's there, it's mainly our target audience. The Adventist message is actually very attractive, especially when you have some, some, some vigor and some life. You know, we, we sing only from the hymnal, but we sing loud, and it's fun. And people actually really enjoy it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The Adventist message is, is very attractive. And the other thing is, don't try to dumb down the message. The, the kids are really smart. In fact, everybody is smarter than you think they are. And the message doesn't need to be dumbed down. And so when you really preach the message, when you have some life, um, it's attractive. Don't be fooled. Eric. Just a quick comment. If the world is getting rated R, if your teenagers are getting rated R, don't feed them baby food from the pulpit. We, we don't need baby food. Like we just said, I mean, don't be afraid to tell the truth. That's what people want. They're watching the History Channel tell them things that many times we're scared to talk about in church. That's what's wrong. They think, I'm, I'm going to church and I'm, I'm getting baby food. They don't want that. Give them the truth. They're hungering for that. Diamond. <clears throat> when it comes to teenagers, young adults, millennials, I guess you could say, those who are rebellious in our church, you know, Sometimes we think that the drawing is up to us. We ought to do this kind of music and have these kind of parties and allow them to wear these kind of clothes. If we just stick to the Bible, you know it says, Christ says, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If we preach Christ, who does the drawing? Not us, he does it. It's not our job to draw them in. All we do is stick to truth and uplift him, and he has promised in his word, I will draw all men unto me. So let's preach truth, the straight truth, the full truth, and nothing but the truth, and allow him to draw them in. Amen? Question. Question. I've been approached 
thinking, let never you know, I'm getting calls from all over the world, my name and face is out there, so they're coming at me. They're asking this question in particular. Any of you guys, any of your members of this counter movement, whatever we call ourselves, push back, have dialogued with these people, have communicated, to, attempted to, you know, say, what's happening here? You folks are going down this road. Um, any in response that you can think of anybody who's kind of done that? Diamond? Well, I know someone who has, more than someone. And, um, you know, we've been doing these, uh, these symposiums all over North America, Australia, etc. Um, and, of course, people on the opposite side have been wanting to dialogue and uh, try and reason with us and stuff like that. Um, I know one person, which will remain nameless, who, have, who has actually talked with them via email um, and went back and forth, back and forth. Is this recently? Uh, yeah, I would say in the la less than three months ago. Okay, thank you. Um, and the other person just ignores what they're... I'm, I'm sorry, the, the person on the emergent side ignores what they're saying and refuses to talk specifically to them about certain areas... And, um, and, and so really there, there's no reason to, I mean, to keep going back and forth because they have nothing to stand on. I mean, because their, their philosophy, their theology is not built upon God's word. So what's the, I mean, if we're going to argue, why? You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's nothing to argue upon. You guys don't believe in a thus saith the Lord, so why should I even talk to you about the subject? Do you remember we're talking about direct contact back and forth? Jerry? Yes, and it was made. Okay, Jerry, direct contact back and forth. The more, we're, the more we are in the Word of God, the more equipped we are to address these kind of issues. Many of you were at the GC session. We were last year. As we were down there on Sabbath, my wife took, had some free time and walked around through the exhibit hall. She came up to the booth of a... It was Empowering Women or Women Empowerment or something like that. And so she walked up to the booth just kind of gently. There was one lady standing there behind the booth. And she looked at her name tag and said, Oh, I've indicated, which I was president of at the time. She said, We won't have anything in common. Kind of backed off. And Nancy said, I didn't come here to fight. I wanted to hear what you have to say. So the woman stepped forward and told her what she had to say. She was very impassioned. She told her about how all the women's rights uh, issues that were important to her, and she felt that our church was missing, and she just kept pouring all this out. Finally, she ran out of steam. Nancy said, can I say something to you? Now, this is the quiet power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. If we have the mind of Christ, we will find our voice in these kind of situations. Nancy said, can I say something to you? Do you feel fulfilled as a woman, as a mother and wife? And the woman just froze. Tears began to show up in her eyes. Nancy reached out her hand, put it on her arm, and said, let me just say this to you. Whatever happens on Wednesday, don't let it steal your joy in Christ. Okay. The woman started crying. And later she came around to our booth, which, remember what she said at first? She said, oh, I don't want anything to do with you guys. She came along later and wanted to see us again and meet us again. If you reach out to people in the right way, speak the truth, speak it in love, you'll get their attention. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to get back to specifically on this, on this subject, reaching out to that crew, whether it be Leadership Institute, One Project, any the Emergent Philosophy. Jonathan. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. If you're going to talk and, and you feel like you're talking to somebody that may have 
firm opinions already, you know, don't go alone. The Bible tells us to go um, with other people with us. Um, and the other thing, too, is that I think you have to be strategic as to who you want to talk to, because don't waste your time either. Um, it, it can be dangerous out there, and um, I'd focus on people that, that are seeking and that want to know the truth. Okay, thank you. Now I'm going to go back one more time. Talk specifically, if there are attempts made, please keep it to that, between this group, whatever you call it, and that group. Specifically that. Victor. I think that, uh, well, I know that there are several of us here that have had uh, contact with those who are, are into this mystical uh, movement um, and have talked with them in one form or another. Um, I spoke with uh, someone that, if I mentioned their name, you would, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I asked them, you know, why, why is this, uh, and we were talking about a program that they had put together. I said, why is this mystical stuff in your program? And I said, you know, you're, you're, you're promoting these people that you're quoting by simply quoting them, and people are going to look at those as though these, these authors that you're quoting are okay. And he looked at me, and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders like, and? And, and we, we tried to talk with him and, and, and uh, try to get him to see that by doing what he's doing, he was, he was actually promoting these mystical authors. Um, uh, this, this program that was put together was a health program. There are health programs put out by the Adventist Church that include some of these mystical ideas. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to, to talk with these people because they're so ingrained in it. That is why, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, you must pray for these people. They are deceived. Um, they are so deep into it that it's hard for them to admit they're wrong and to get out of this. Pray for these people, please. They need your prayers. Ingo. You have to maintain your Christianity in the conversation. Recently, the One Project approached our campus to have the One Project in Texas. And what a few of us who were concerned did, we, we called a meeting with the union, and we all met both parties, and all we did was voice concern in a calm, kind manner, but we kept voicing concern giving factual objective reasons why we should not have this project on our campus. And um, I was surprised in the end, the union voted not to invite the one project. Thank you very much. Okay, alrighty here. Um, got a, thank you for texting me a question. Okay, uh, what are the effects, you know, of this, what are the effects of this, what result, what's happening, campus, pastoral work, on the people, you were mentioning some things, Ingo, maybe you want to catch that. I remember taking a course in spiritual formation at the seminary when that word was not a buzzword at all. That was 20 years ago. 
Uh, the textbooks were Richard Foster, Desert Fathers, Monks, etc. No Spirit of Prophecy. And I, I was not aware of this discussion, these seminars. Dave Fiedler hadn't written his book yet. Nothing. It was a course on spiritual formation. And at the point, I, I looked at these textbooks and I started reading them. I knew about Richard Foster and I thought, why are we reading this? But I was too shy and timid and introvert to speak up. Guy next to me, then Baron Springs, raised his hand and asked the professor, why are we reading this? stuff when we have a rich treasure in scripture and spirit of prophecy how we should spiritually form ourselves very interesting the professor just dismissed it with a smirk and what i noticed in the adventist church then happening is these ideas get disseminated and distributed through the pastors all over the world and with that then comes what I would call a de-adventization of Adventism. The, our specific fingerprint, our signature great controversy framework is lost. And a colleague of mine just recently told me she no longer goes to church on Sabbath because the sermons all sound the same. The, the end result of all this, and when I went to seminary, the emerging church leaders in Adventism, I went to seminary with them. On Sundays, they would run to Willow Creek and all this. And, and I always ask myself, why would you want to learn how to run church from people who don't know state of the dead sanctuary, Sabbath, spirit of prophecy, etc.? And so my, my question marks, my wheels started turning 20 years ago, and now I'm seeing the harvest of and reaping the whirlwind of what's been a long, long-term development in our church. To, the message is lost. Um, the younger generation doesn't see a reason for coming to church or being an Adventist, and I think it's killing our institutions financially because the theological rationale for funding our system is gone as well if our specific Adventist theology does not matter then why bother? It, it, it kills the movement. Okay, uh, a couple quick things. Just to remember this, redefine your terms, redefine your terms, create confusion, and slip in error. You catch that? Redefine your terms, create confusion, slip in error. That's a modus operandi, or the ammo for Satan and his troops that allowed them to use it. And, and it's ironically and paradoxically done very aggressively and also very subtly. We don't even realize what's happening. The downward road to perdition is as follows. You doubt, neglect the spirit of prophecy. The next thing that's going to go is the Bible itself. And that leads to the road of perdition. A man by the name of Robert Brinsby had a seven step that he described the seven steps up, which he took, and the seven steps down, which he took to the road to perdition. You know Robert Brinsby's story in Australia. He ended up out of the church, tossing a spare prophecy, the Bible, 
and just about disbelieving the existence of God Himself. So basically, uh, we're going to close now on that note. Look, you have one last comment. Yeah. Um, if you've been coming to the, to the seminars here, you have seen where a lot of this leads. Uh, you have seen the people that have been affected. You've seen the, the uh, ideas that have come out of this. And the ideas that are there are not biblical ideas. Um, and, and tomorrow morning I'm going to talk a little bit more about this and, and show you why we are where we are. Uh, how we got in this position and what, uh, what the solutions are as well. And Ingo, what are you going to be talking about tomorrow afternoon at 3.30? 9.30 tomorrow for Victor, and 3.30 for Ingo. What are you be talking about tomorrow, Ingo? Uh, the word divorce was mentioned earlier. I'm going to talk about this great divorce that has taken place in the Adventist church, separating Jesus from doctrine. And tied in with that, I'm going to share part of my testimony. I was reached as a non-Adventist, secular, neo-pagan, European teenager with doctrine, and any missiologist, church growth strategist would have looked at me and would have said, don't try doctrine on him, all he needs is Jesus. I, I came into the Adventist church through Jesus and doctrine. Thank you. And we're going to keep those together tomorrow at 3.30. Thank you so much. Now what we're going to do is, uh, Diamond and I, we'll have closing prayer, but Diamond and I are going to drift on out to the table because we've got materials available for you that wanted to get materials. We have them out there. And I would ask that the rest of you stand by down here for a few minutes. Those who want to ask them a couple more questions privately, that's fine. But the, Diamond and I will go on out to the table and uh, the rest of you, would that be okay? we got a couple questions privately here. And Diamond and I will go on out. So let's go ahead and stand. And we would ask that, uh, Carl, could you have the closing prayer first? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for being with us here tonight, and we pray that it would be our constant aim and purpose to be more like Christ and to know more of his word so that we can hasten his return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.